Sorry about that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Life After. I'm here with my friend Chuck Parson, and I'm hello. Who are you here with? Um, and I am here with uh, with our guest Sundria Hall. Sundria Hall, excuse me. Um, Sundria is uh, out of uh, Colorado, Denver, Colorado. She is a an LPCC, which is a licensed professional clinical counselor. Uh, she also does some online counseling and some coaching. Um, and she works with uh, religious trauma in particular, uh, among other things. So uh, she's got a she's got an interesting background. Uh, she's got a, a lot of interesting things to say about religious trauma and and uh, and how to deal with it and how to how to grow out of it. So we're pretty excited to have her on the show. Sandria, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Thanks for being on the show. Um, so let's just kind of jump into your background a little bit. So um, you grew up in a uh, Pentecostal holiness church, right? And yeah. you uh, have a lot of preachers in your family. You're a preacher's kid. You have a preacher cousin. You have a preacher grandparent. You kind of all over the place, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm from a very large uh, country black family. And okay. um, my dad's one of 16. Oh, wow. My mom. Yeah. My yeah, mom's one of 10. Um, so that makes for lots of cousins, <laughs> lots of extended family. Right. And in a very, very large uh, portion of my dad's family specifically are ministers. So, you know, that was that was life for us. God, right. everyone's a preacher <laughs> right so entrenched into the culture of your family wow so you and you i mean you were in church almost every day of the week in some capacity right um it varied so you know for a while my dad was kind of an, an assistant pastor musician i grew up in originally the church that you know, first brought them into the fold. Mm -hmm. And then eventually um, he started his own church and um, that required a little more time, but it didn't feel like we were necessarily at church. I was around running around playing. It took a, <laughs> took a while to realize this was uh, bigger than just hanging out with my cousins. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you describe what it was, what your church was like? Um, Cause I, I feel like everybody's churches are so different and I would love to hear kind of what the culture looked like that you're coming from. Yeah, we were sanctified holy rollers. What that means <laughs> is the women wore dresses down to their ankles, um, sleeves down to their wrists, no makeup, no pants, no earrings. Wow. Um, we couldn't listen to, you know, the blues, the devil's music. Mm -hmm. We didn't even go to the movie theater. Oh, my God. That, that, that was even a thing. Oh. It was life was about God doing the work of, you know, the ministry. So one word we would have thrown around back in our Christian days is like, oh, that sounds very legalistic. Is that kind <laughs> of an accusation that gets thrown around in that culture or how, how is that viewed? I don't know if the term legalistic is what I would apply to that experience necessarily. Okay. Um, it was just holiness. You had to be set apart from the world sure. in every okay. way. So right. you need to look different, talk different. Your fun was different. Mm -hmm. Everything. Hmm. You felt, 
you were very nurtured by this community. You don't particularly, um, I mean, you, I think you said in your survey that you didn't re- particularly feel angry or traumatized by the experience of church. It was just you were immersed in it and you felt really nurtured by the community. Absolutely. Again, huge family. Um, this, this is what we did. Sunday dinners, Friday nights, like these people were always in our lives. This was family. Um, I didn't experience any, you know, traumatic personal abuse or mistreatment in any way. Um, I'm telling you, the music was fabulous. <laughs> it, it was amazing. Uh-huh. It wasn't until I started to walk away and try to change the way I thought that I felt the traumatic experience. Right. Ooh. Let's talk about the music a little bit because we mm-hmm. honestly on this show, um, we we tend to like the focus tends to be on how bad Christian music is because <laughs> in white church, quite frankly, like <laughs> music is pretty. It's pretty bad. It's pretty run of the mill. It's pretty redundant. Um, it's it. A lot of the pop music tends to be like a copy of something that's more popular, you know. But the <laughs> the experience in black church is totally is so different, right? I mean, you still really have a connection with that music. Oh, absolutely! It was the music we did. Sure, there were um, more popular, famous uh, gospel artists at that time that our choir would, you know, sing their songs, but these were young musicians. They were writing music, mm-hmm. you know, playing the guitar and the drums and the organ and um, the baddest choir robes you've ever seen yeah. with the, the rocks. I mean, it was a show. Yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's, uh, that's, man. that's so interesting to me that like, what did, what did you say? The rocks? Like, what, yeah. what, what, what do you mean by that? What is that? It's the side to side. It's the pause when you need to with the okay. song and right, you back right, up right. with the yeah. hand clap up high and the hand clap down low. Uh-huh, it, was, uh-huh. it was it was a party. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love like though just like this kind of juxtaposition between having like um, such an effort to be not flashy with the way that you look, you know, like everything has to be so plain and everything covered up, um, but then like it's when you're in the music, it is you know kind of it's a production it's a big thing and there's a lot of attention and everything it's an interesting juxtaposition to me well i mean what else did we do right you know Uh everything that we did was centered around church so we made that as amazing right you know a lot of your like so much of your creative energy was going into that because it wasn't it wasn't going anywhere else right Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so how I want to ask you this. I mean, like Chance the Rapper, for example, has like brought sort of brought gospel music into the mainstream in a different way. Kanye is like about to release this gospel album, which God knows what that's going to be, Lord. you know, <laughs> but like uh-huh. how do, so I think a lot of uh, people in our community struggle with like, I really loved this Christian music, but I really have a hard time with the message now or I associate it with some difficult mm. things that I had to deal with. How does how does gospel music fit into your life now? Or how how did you how do you go about engaging in that? No, I don't listen to all of it. Right. I'm very particular. Um, but there's some, especially some of the older songs, um, they still resonate and they 
remind me of specifically in the black community the struggles that we've had and what mm-hmm. we've overcome and mm-hmm. it's kind of a just a soul lifting feel good keep fighting keep pushing we're winners and and from that perspective I still connect very much but you know there's some that's kind of <laughs> just not my just not my taste uh-huh. totally understandable. for sure yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah. a little bit more selective about it, and I, I feel like maybe you take some different things out of it, or, or you or you emphasize different aspects of it now. Yeah, I, I recognize the connection that the church has had in the Black community. I mean, um, we go back to slavery, and you know, you're looking for somewhere to go, somewhere to create community, somewhere um, to feel safe, and... Um, that was the church and music came out of that. So it's in essence, it's life giving mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, I think, you know, some other things happen as a result. But, um, just for me, I go back to that space and what that means for the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's super important. It, it's, it's occurred to me. I mean, it's obvious it's, it's out there that, like Christianity has sort of like served as a unifier for the, for the black community in a lot of, I mean, the civil rights era in particular, there are obviously two sides to that, right? I mean, Malcolm X's side was a little bit more Muslim focused. Dr. King's mm-hmm. side was a little bit more. And I mean, they, not, th- not that they were like opposed to each other completely, but you know, there was, a, there was a divide there, but um, it seems to me, it's, it seems like historically and even still now, um, that Christianity is sort of expected to be part of the black community or part of the black identity. Um, it has gotten the black community through some very difficult things. It has also caused the black community a lot of problems because you have, I mean, you know, Christianity was very, the Bible was used to justify slavery for however many years. And I mean, it still is in like the dark corners of the South, right? Um, so do you find yourself feeling like you are an outsider or somehow viewed as other in black, uh, uh, situation? What am I trying to say? Uh, black spaces, spaces. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to reword that. Do you find you, do you, do you find yourself feeling uh, like an outsider or, or otherly in black spaces? Absolutely. Um, I, I did a talk today at um, Colorado University around um, counseling in the Black community. And one of the um, obstacles or something that a clinician has to consider consider is the allegiance that the Black community has to religion and or spirituality. Mm. And look, I'll share I have this because I spoke about it today. But um, these are some stats from Pew Report. And it says, in America... Um, blacks lead in stats on belief in God at 83%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the importance of belief on one's life at 75%, frequency of prayer at 73%, and feelings of peace and well-being at 69%. In every area that this um, study looked at, blacks were at right. the helm. And, and interestingly, I think it may be the same study found that uh, like black millennials aren't leaving church and actually might be... I think maybe even gaining attendance. So we tend to talk about the millennial generation as like the one that's definitely leaving, but it's not as true in the, in the black community. 
Um, it's it's a social thing. Even if some believers aren't as dogmatic and committed and legalistic mm-hmm. um, as you know some of the older generations, it still serves as a meeting place for socializing. Mm-hmm. It's Perfect. like you know, it's part of, like you said, the black experience, these black spaces. So for me, um, as a clinician, you know, it took me a long time to actually say on my um, website, on my Instagram, that I was a secular therapist, because I knew, I knew the effect that would have Mm -hmm. on the black community. And my heart is for the black community to get counseling, to get help. And I had to really make a decision Am I going to and kind of separate myself or do I, you know, kind of play it to the left a little bit and just say, oh, yeah, and I happen to work in religious trauma. But I have to be honest about who I am. Mm. And um, that's just a large part of my work. It's a large part of my life, my personal experience. And I I didn't want to hide that. Mm. When did you start to kind of pull away from your beliefs and what kind of started to drive a wedge between that and what you just assumed to be true your whole life? Um, so the church that we talked about at the beginning where, you know, the, the music was fabulous and all that where my cousins and um, community was, that was the church of my youth. Okay. Um, once I grew up and left home, I moved from my small town in Alabama to Atlanta, Georgia, and I started going to one of those huge non-denominational churches. And, you know, that's like next, like thousands of members and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually kind of went deeper into word study. Okay. Yeah, that was the thing. That's the first time I actually read the Bible cover to cover and really wanted to understand this entire concept and Mm. i loved god and i was committed and i'm knocking on doors and i'm serving in the women's ministry (laughs) everything yeah i am doing everything i'm committed they're getting my money all of it and i slowly just start to question um Mm. really what i was reading i saw all these inconsistencies i saw things that just you know everything a miracle there's um you know the story about the prophet land on the boy's body and he came to life. I'm like, isn't that like mouth mouth resuscitation or warm bodies doing what warm bodies mm. do when you try to help people? There were so many practical explanations that I started uh, to yeah. see mm-hmm. that originally were spiritual and magical. And I thought, this ain't really what, <laughs> yeah. this, this is not what this is. No, it, and it led me to read other books for read the Bible or read books about the Bible. And I started to read other things, like Hmm. what other thoughts are out there? And, Mm -hmm. you know, interestingly enough, my dad, um, although he's committed, you know, till his death, he was um, somewhat open-minded. Okay. So in his library, he would have different books about different thoughts. And I never really considered it until I, my path started to change. And I thought about, oh, I remember these books on my dad's shelf. Mm -hmm. So I started to kind of read some of those to kind of see where he was headed. Um, and it just took me on a path <laughs> to, to a completely different um, space for myself. 
That's interesting. I, I think a lot of us have kind of a similar story where we kind of go to the same church that we grew up in, but there's a moment in our life where we have to kind of take ownership, right? And we find the church that reflects who, what we believe or whatever. So mm-hmm. I kind of went through that same thing, but the emphasis on the second church was different for you. And so kind of like, do you think that getting away from the norm of your family and kind of like the dual relationships that you're that you're living with as yeah. a preacher's kid. Um, do you think kind of getting away from that had to do with you starting to piece things together that maybe it wasn't the way that you thought it was? Yeah, you know, it fed something different. So, you know, my childhood church was, I was born into it. It's all I knew. Mm. It, it was life. Um, this new church, as a young adult, it was more of my choice, so I felt empowered in that way. It was also emphasis on doing well and black excellence and and not being in poverty and poor. And you know, my family wasn't we weren't poor, but we didn't have a whole lot of stuff. A lot of people in our church and our community, there, no one was you know wealthy. Right. But this church, oh my God, everyone had money. Everyone had a Mercedes or BMW and huge homes and diamonds. And it was, whoa, they fed something else for me. Mm. They showed me a different kind of black experience, mm-hmm. not just black experience, but a different kind of black church experience. Gotcha. I kind of got caught up in that. Your deconstruction was not particularly related to uh, any, any Trump, any traumatic event, nothing in particular happened. Um, I mean, you, it seems like you had some things going on in your life at that point, but it was like pretty, and you kind of, I mean, you kind of already said this, but pretty cognitive, right? You describe it as a cognitive Mm -hmm. awakening. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you've made this transition from, now you have this strong psychological foundation before you had this strong spiritual foundation. Um, what, what was it that drew you particularly to psychology? Um, that's a really great question. I think I've just always been interested in why people do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how the brain works. Um, how much power do I really have as an individual? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, again, being in church from birth, the resource was always God. I didn't have to do much thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. You know, you just pray. You pray it away. You pray it in. Whatever you need or don't need, it's all about prayer and going to God. And I wanted to know, can I do this on my own? Mm-hmm. You know? That's um, such a good question. Mm-hmm. Here's another interesting thing. The, the church that I went to in Atlanta, the minister was actually um, trained. I don't know if he was trained, but he was a psychology major okay and he would bring a lot of that to his messages mm-hmm. hmm. um so that kind of kind of opens you up a little bit to go mm-hmm. oh okay he did talk about personal responsibility if god said so you know what i mean it was, right. it was okay. right, right, always right. this like god emphasis right but um but education was very much highly supported okay um i went back to school while I was in that church. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to know 
you know, what I could do on my own. Right. Could I, could I think, think my way in and out of stuff? Do I, do I really have to ask God about it? Right. I, I love that. I love the way you worded that because to me, like my experience was a big part of my story is that, um, I joined this support group and the support group was like very much rooted in psychology, even though it was trying to, to sort of theologize it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept finding that over the course of the like three years I was in this support group, I kept finding that the psychological things I was learning were like helping me so much more than the spiritual mm-hmm. things I was learning. God, yeah. And mm-hmm. to me, I, I'm, a, I'm like a big fan of Occam's razor, which is basically the concept. It's like in philosophy that the the explanation with the least amount of steps or you know the this the simplest explanation is probably the truest right and i started to find that psychology was offering these much more succinct explanations for what i was seeing hmm. um than mm-hmm. what christianity was offering and the the explanations for behavior and for why we why i'm the way i am and why that guy's the way that he is and why we interact with each other we're just like so much more thought out so much more accurate i'm finding yeah and it just slowly started like learning about psychology was a big part of what pulled me away Hmm. from a more spiritual worldview you know so i I really love the way you put that i like that i relate that to that as well like coming from the baptist fundamentalist background um therapy was kind of like an insult almost like oh you need therapy and that was kind of like our attitude with it and it was discouraged um, but whenever I finally started to go to a professional therapist and understood like, uh, how I can be self-aware of my thoughts and CBT therapy and the other things that I was involved in, like that, that was a life changer for me. Um, night and day uh-huh. difference. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I watched people, you know, struggling in life, in their marriages, um, struggling with depression, just struggling with you know, life changes that they were experiencing. And, you know, it was either God or the devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, that's all we have. Right. This couldn't be, you know, like you said, something else happening, you know, in our brain, our body and our the chemicals and something else is affecting what's happening in this person's life. Right. You mentioned that it was either, it was either God or the devil. And it's like, there's just, there's, two extremes that's the only place that you can find anything that's the only two categories that you can put anything in mm-hmm. how fucked up is that right like how unnuanced um can you speak to that a little bit like from your professional perspective like can you what is this black and white thinking come from and and how can it affect us well you know from my perspective i i, I think we're when you're in that world you're trying to, one, do the right thing. You want God to be pleased. You want your life to be blessed. You know, you want healing in your body, in your mm-hmm. relationship. You want good jobs. And it requires obedience. And there's no gray area mm-hmm. in obedience. You're, you're either doing what the yeah, Lord says yeah. or, or, or you're not. And rebelling. And, that's, yeah. and, and rebelling. And then, and then that's the devil's side. You know, mm-hmm. and well, the other thing that I think um, that thinking robs us of is personal responsibility because mm, that's so yeah yeah if you if you do something jacked up to someone then it's 
you know, the devil made me do it mm-hmm. repent to God and we'll make things better. You could even do something fantastic. You could do something amazing that, um, you know, changes your whole family's life. It, you know, go to college or I don't know, figure something out that's just fantastic. And you still don't get to say, I did that. That belongs to God. Right. Yeah. Never really own. You don't own your good or your bad. You're right. just kind of this person <laughs> existing, waiting to die and get your reward in heaven or your hell, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. The other problem with that too, with having a kind of a culture that's built on that sort of forgiveness, right? Like it's it's more of like, okay, well, I forgive you, and that becomes the expectation. And so, what I notice is it's easy for people to become bullies or for people to get stuck in situations where they're constantly being victimized by the same people. Because the Bible says, mm-hmm. "Well, forgive them seventy times seventy. Or um, you know, there's a verse that says, "And if they say that they repent, then you are to just accept that and that question, and then to mm-hmm. treat them as if they are fine." So I see a big difference between like this apology, like I'm sorry thing and making amends, right? Where you actually take responsibility for what you've done and you are able to kind of word it in a way that um, does justice to the situation. Absolutely. Um, You know, (laughs) after leaving my entire process around forgiveness changed Mm. Um, you know I find that the institutions that require you to forgive even the most heinous act the most Mm -hmm. evil are churches religion and often your family yeah Mm -hmm. your gross old uncle could have touched you for you know all your childhood and he's still at the dinner table no one's confronting that right and that's that same concept exists in religion. I prayed, I'm forgiven, you gotta let me back in. And when you take away God and you know my forgiveness is what gets me into heaven, so I gotta do this, take that away and you get to really deal with these injustices. You really get to confront that person that did that and know you're not invited into my home and in my space. I get to wow. you know set yeah. boundaries and have a safe place. And you know, that's just you know, one example, but it really changed my entire forgiveness. And I don't, it's not something that's automatic for me. I don't force it. Not everyone that does me harm is forgiven. Yeah. And, right. and I'm, and I'm not God. Why, why is my forgiveness so important right. to you? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the thought is usually, well, if you, you know, if you don't forgive, then, you know, you're harming yourself. No, no, no. I'm fine because the evil person the abuser, the mistreated, the person that mistreated me is no longer in my space. I love, there's a balance to it, right? I mean, like if you are overtaken by bitterness and you're thinking about the stuff that they've done, yeah, that's a whole other story that right. we could talk about. But what you're talking about is, you know, Based, yeah. in church, there's these weird, I've had weird circumstances where somebody had like a bad thought about me. So they needed to come oh, and apologize God, yeah. to it. Oh, totally, and it was like these yeah. weird, like backdoor passive aggressive, yeah. you know, yeah. things. And it's usually like very ambiguous in their pro- anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird thing. It's a happens. weaponization kind of, of right. It's a weaponization of, of not just forgiveness, but bringing up the offense when it really wasn't, it was not offense. Right. But like, that's what the focus is on is like these weird, 
black and white like oh i had a bad thought now i need to like spin out of control until i feel better about the thought that i've had that was evil until i feel like i'm on the good side again you know and it's just looking for that internal confirmation of our feelings that right it doesn't add up that's not how it works let me jump in because i i don't okay so i don't want to get you in trouble i know you have to choose how you approach things professionally but since it's been it's been in the conversation recently the issue of black forgiveness right i mean we have the shooting we have an actual murder in texas right a police officer murdering somebody in their in their own house with no discernible like reason to do so and we had you know i i don't have any particular strong feelings about the relative of the victim choosing to like forgive and embrace the police officer but mm-hmm. there's this larger conversation that i think ties in with the the pervasive uh, nature of Christianity in the black community is that this this ne- this idea that we have to forgive everybody that wrongs us, right? Uh-huh. How do you feel about that? Do you feel? Do you, are you okay addressing that? Because we really, I can cut that if you don't want to talk about it. You know, I just read the numbers, right? We see how impactful religion and spirituality is on the black community. It's it's you know a really it's it's at the base. It's fundamental. And this is me personally. This isn't some. This isn't even about any clients that may come to my office. This is just my personal perspective. Um, when I saw that, I felt multiple emotions. I felt anger. Hmm. I felt sadness. I felt hurt. And so much came up for me. Um, you know the the people that while I was in church, that really did a number on me that were just in relationships, um, mistreated me Mm. and how I forced myself to forgive. And I stayed in that space and then I was mistreated again. And it's almost like, I'm going to get a cookie for this though. No, maybe you are the evil person, but my reward is coming okay. soon. And there's never any true confrontation or, you know, that space for that person to deal with it. In this case, she's going to go to jail. You know, maybe she'll think about it. Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But, you know, I think there's something to say for a human being to be able to set boundaries. Mm, I love that. Between themselves and um, a killer. Mm-hmm. As I mean, an, ex- just, I mean, as an extreme weird. example, right? It's an extreme example. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking but about it's that. A, but it's real, but it's like I, real and like pervasive in our culture. So it's like as extreme as it is, it's not that, unfortunately, not that unusual of a scenario. No, I have so many stories. I know someone that um, was in a relationship and and her husband was, you know, a womanizer and, you know, contracted HIV, brought it home to her and she was still praying Mm -hmm. for God to change him and heal her. He since died and now, you know, this is, this is her life. Wow. You know, where, where's God? Right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I don't buy the whole, well, there's a lesson in this. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the lesson is we get to set boundaries. We get to say no. We get to remove um, harmful people out of our spaces. Yeah, I love that. Hmm. I thank you for thank you for that. That was such a good answer. Thank you. Because the it it's one of those issues that sort of gets swept under the rug because our our culture outside even outside of church values forgiveness so much and mm-hmm. especially there's this like <laughs> i mean there's this white black dynamic where it's just like white people just expect to be forgiven like it, it's I, you know and it's it doesn't go both ways in my opinion it mm-hmm. black black people do not expect to be forgiven in our culture and white people do and it's so pervasive that mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of the black community just just gives into the the cultural dialogue you know and and can even be you know fox news or whatever can even will will even go so far as to if somebody is angry about murder will will say like well why why can't they let this go why you know and it's like this this horrible and it but it it's 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 there on this big scale and it's there with this black white thing but it's also there with people that are just leaving church it's there with people that yeah. were expected their Any whole lives to just let it go right? and it's mm-hmm. on this it's on this macro scale and it's on this micro scale yeah. and it's like super important to mm. to acknowledge that we just don't have to forgive people sometimes right and you know what what i thought about you know that's in that situation that was that um i think it was the brother that's his personal choice at the end of the day right, right. Yeah, that, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely what he wants to do that's what he wants to do it if it helps him sort through it and move on with his life yeah i think kind of along the lines of what you just said it's on the big screen it's it's for the world to see and i think about that with even my clients that are you know on the verge and and slowly moving away it's one of those things where maybe you know he did it it's almost like a testimony he did it he forgave such a you know incredible Mm. injustice Maybe I can do this too. Maybe I should go back to this spouse that abuses me. Maybe mm. I should um, let nasty old uncle stay with us because God's going to bless me for you know my forgiving heart. Mm-hmm. That's where I get concerned: is the it, it, how is that interpreted? The effect mm-hmm. that that has on the lives of other people. And I think you even mentioned before because if you are around that creepy uncle, you're almost doing that as a. Um, action of your faith of like, well, I believe God, you know, wants me to forgive. And so now I'm going to be protected. But then you fall into being victimized over and over. Right. Surprise. Like God doesn't actually protect people because he probably isn't real. You know, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> suppose that we, we need to take a break. Um, yes. And when we get back, uh, there's this subject of what it means to be trauma informed and what exactly that phrase means. Um, when we get back, do you mind if we cover that a little bit? Sure. Awesome. Cool. Um, we will be right back right after this. Okay, Chuck, are you ready? Have we only have one shot? We got to make this work. Uh, wait, you didn't just give just me just read an, your lines. I'll um, give you the paper. Okay. okay. Psst, are you guys ready? Are you ready? Uh, All right. Uh, uh, um, are you ready to construct with friends? What the, what the hell? Where did, where did all this come from? <laughs> Deconstructing your faith used to be lonely and boring as hell. Wait, wait, wait. But no one must wait. deconstruct their faith alone ever again when you deconstruct with friends. 
Chuck, tell him what we mean. Um, yeah, that's, that's right, Brady. Yeah. Uh, the life after has a... Uh, uh, what the hell, Brady? Uh, I went full on Jumanji on this one. We keep going. He's a rental by the hour. The, the Life After podcast has a secret Facebook community and Slack yeah. channel for people deconstructing the, the uh, Christian fundamentalism and other oppressive religions. Uh, meet new people and, and, uh, and deconstruct with, with friends. friends. <laughs> nice job, Chuck. You even got the echo. Uh, thanks. Uh, that was kind of cool, I guess. Oh god, he's touching me with his trunk. Uh, you can apply for the secret group it's on, our on our Facebook by answering three entrance questions. Your membership is hidden, and the admins keep the room constructive and helpful. Now, can we get this elephant out of here? Nope, probably not, but we can. Deconstruct with friends! There it is. There we go. Welcome back uh, to Life After. Hey, um, so what I want to touch on, if that's cool, is what does it mean to be trauma-informed? So that's kind of a catchphrase that I'm hearing in the, you know, in the online spaces of people who have left fundamentalism. And I want to know what that means and what our listeners can benefit from that. Um, from a clinician's perspective, I think it's invaluable to be um, to understand the trauma-informed care. We want to make sure that we understand what trauma is, we're able to recognize it, respond to it appropriately, and to not re-traumatize um, our clients. Um, you know, and that's my responsibility as a clinician. As a client, um, a lot of times, in session, a lot of times it's about psychoeducation. Hmm. Maybe a client knows that something's off. They're not even sure what's happening. And that's an opportunity for us to educate them on what trauma is and what they're experiencing in their body, um, in their mind, um, these levels of anxiety that are increased around a person or after a specific event, like what's happening with me. And that in itself is empowering. Hmm. You, know, right. you know, we're talking about religious trauma, hmm. but if they can't even name it, they can't even pinpoint it. You can never get free. You can never really heal properly until you really like understand what's going on. And that's, that's the beauty of therapy. Hmm. You know, we were talking about, let's just go pray. Let's just go pray. And maybe you emotionally feel better for a minute. You dance and sing and whew, it's over. Nah, it's, it'll be right there in the morning because we never really processed. We never really got to the root of what's happening. We never even, um, developed any new ways of being or new ways of thinking so that you're not re-traumatized, that you're not back in that same situation again. So what does that look like in uh, for our situation about leaving religion then? How does that affect like our community? Um, you know, I start with, with every client around religious trauma specifically, I start with, tell me your story. Hmm. Um, I want to know... Um, how they were introduced to religion, what kind, um, what they experienced while in it, what brought them to question um, and or leave. That's where I like to start because here's, it is not my intention to rid the world of religion. Right, I need right. to know where my clients are, what their needs are. Can they express those needs? Some. Like I said, my experience um, in the church, I, I personally was not mistreated. Mm -hmm. I, 
just like I said, cognitively, I just didn't believe it anymore. So mm-hmm. I had to, I couldn't just sit there. I had to move on with my life. Um, but some people, it's a source of strength, community, um, and they're able to still live fruitful lives, still, you know, make sound decisions about what they want to do. They're able to set boundaries. They can still do those things and still have this sense of spirituality. Hmm. And if that works for them, then then fine. Um, so, so the process, I'm very person-centered. I need to know where this person is and what they need, what their goals are. are. And if I see something that's um, dangerous, um, like we said, re-injuring yourself, going back to some situation where you truly are mistreated, then we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. What's a healthy way? What's a healthy relationship? What's the given? Again, it's around psychoeducation. I like that because kind of what you're, what the theme that I'm hearing you say is that kind of the first step is to have definitions and vocabulary for things, to be able to define them, to be able to look at your relationship that you're having with the church and say, is this healthy or not? You know, kind of having more categories to put this in because the church does not create a category for you of saying, here's spiritual abuse or here is abuse. It's just, you're part of this community. You need to keep going with the flow. So when we're kind of giving this new vocabulary, we're allowing ourselves to say, there's other, there's other options that I could be falling into Mm -hmm. and then seeing how those can be avenues to find healing or to get out of the religion completely or to stay in it and find a new, more healthy way to express it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, one of the weird things about trauma in particular is that it up front, it can often look like a lot of other things, right? It can be like the, the, the effects or the symptoms of trauma can be misdiagnosed as anxiety or depression or uh, bipolar disorder or, you know, uh, can like some form of schizophrenia or something like that. If you're having these really intense reactions to trauma, um, how do you go about parsing? I mean, like, okay, that's a really big question. I'm not gonna like that's like really specific, but um, Chuck just wants to know for a f- he's asking for a friend, right? <laughs> right. So if Dude, he's hearing I, twenty voices, can you and diagnose all me right now? Chuck's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I'm Jesus. Is this okay? I guess. Well, I guess right. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I God told me this morning. No, um, no. so I guess I think what my question is is I think what my question is is what is it specifically about trauma that makes it so uh, pervasive? That makes it so like it affects so many different parts of mm. your mental health. Here's the thing: when we talk about religious trauma, because religion is so um, accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That's what makes people want to separate it. Okay. Oh, you're just depressed. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Something really, I'm experiencing mm. something that's related to this religious experience. And again, not validated. Mm. You know, and, you know, the DSM will tell you, you know, talk about schizophrenia and talk about these things where, you know, our psyche is. Um, separating or creating spaces to protect itself in a different way Um, or you know you hear voices and we can put that in this category right Mm -hmm. but then if you say oh but it was around a religious experience now all of a sudden this is 
accept it and it's holy and it's oh you're just hearing from god wow 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 you know and because in that space anymore i'm able to say no 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 let's really look at this who are you speaking to are you hearing voices let's talk about that and what traumatic experience could have made you or your brain separate in a way separate is not the best word to use create safe places within yourself right you know hide from these traumatic experiences Hmm. religion is a again we talked a minute about it being a place of uh support and comfort for also be a major um hindrance and and a reason to stay enmeshed in all of that stuff because someone is seeing you as super religious and super close to God when you could really be falling apart. Right. Shit, yeah. That's the, the truth. <laughs> I, I think about that all the time. And I, it's sort of like when I'm describing the show to people, I sort of try to throw in like the reason that we can have a whole show about religious trauma is because religion affects every aspect of your life. Yeah. And it has all mm. of these different nooks and crannies and nuances Ew. that it can hide itself in. Um, and it, it, in, in the trauma, traumatic aspect of it, if you're traumatized by it can come out in any of those ways. Right. But to think too about questioning if you're indoctrinated or trying to figure out if you are, you have like the, the right beliefs or whatever, all the tools that you have to validate and verify are being touched by the the religion as well right so one of the reasons that it's so pervasive is that all the tools that you need to move on or to question or to verify all of that's being is is being held by the religion and so i don't know it's kind of like who's policing the police at that point Mm -hmm. and i love what you said too about there is this assumption that because it is religion it has to be a positive thing and i know that um that's something that dr marlene has mentioned in her book too that stuck out to me that um, trying to even initiate these conversations are difficult because you have to plow through this uh, cultural bias that we have um, with, you know, a lot of the materials we have were written at a time where uh, that religious thing was just kind of assumed, right? But now that we're we're beyond that we've progressed we we get our facts in different ways than before we're able to have more resources and more information and so it's just it feels like that sort of bias is not fitting in with our culture now where we want to have evidence for things and we want um what's going to have the best results and so i feel like that's kind of creating another sort of friction that previous cultures or previous generations didn't have to to, to really encounter as much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's like a a cognitive dis- dissonance that happens within a person who's questioning these things but but this is god we talked about earlier they put that filter on so i gotta look this filter mm. but i know something's off but i i can't say that so i'm gonna mm. go to church way i'm gonna sit here i'm going to um continue to pray and get the word even though something else is happening, I'm getting information. Like I said, we, we get it. You go on Instagram, you can get so much <laughs> information, not saying it's all accurate, uh-huh. but there's a lot more conversation. There's a lot more right. information, yeah. a lot more resources. And, you know, sometimes someone will be so engaged with me on Instagram around this stuff, and then all of a sudden they just cut off. 
And I and I get that though, because you start to touch places that are like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. Uh-huh. And that cognitive dissonance will it will set you back. Uh-huh. You know, and you start and then you start trying to live these these dual life where I'm still a believer, but I really don't believe it because you don't want to lose. Yeah, yeah. It's of what that belief brings you. Mm-hmm. It's like what you've said before, Chuck, about as you're going through the beliefs, like how many of how many do you actually need to boxes do you need to check to still be considered a Christian, right? right? Yeah. Right. How much of the right. Bible do you need to believe or or whatever do you need to, yeah. Because, I mean, we, we could say, oh, it's a narrative, it's a narrative, but when the narrative claims to be true right. or to have some sort of manifestation on our real life now, then it matters. Right. Yeah. And to act like it doesn't matter is gaslighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I remember one time this pastor at, at this really – shitty baptist church i was at was like first baptist church of shit (laughs) basically now uh was like giving this this talk about apologetics and he was like how come there are only there's only you know two two copies of plato but they never question the authenticity of plato and it's like yeah because plato wasn't trying to dictate the day we the way we live our day-to-day lives and (laughs) and also plato didn't claim outrageous Super, supernatural, supernatural things that have no yeah. precedence in real life right right, right exactly well he kind of <laughs> did but like nobody believes him anymore so doesn't nobody questions it right you know oh okay anyway so kind of tied <laughs> to that um you have you have some interesting commentary on and and work with your clients on community building and loss of community right so that was a really big thing for you and your story we didn't really talk about it but I, uh, it's, it seems like the hardest thing for you was that was the loss of that community because your whole life up to this point where you decided to mm. leave Christianity was church. It was church community. It was seeing these people in this setting, singing some songs and, and you start to try and build your life outside of that. And you just, you just have nothing. And then you eventually you also find yourself at this point where you can't go back either because you a won't let yourself and B like may have already been alienated by the community that you were a part of. So Mm -hmm. how did you go about community building and how, and how do you talk to your clients about that? Man, just really quickly, when you talked about, you know, can you go back because you're alienated? I stayed in the closet for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I was, so I was out mentally, but physically communal, I was there. I was still showing up. I was still hanging out with yeah. friends. I would just leave and go, what the f-? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all we talk about in the Bible, and I don't even believe this stuff anymore. Yep, and, yep. and then what would they say if I really told them what I was thinking? Yeah. And I started with a, a very select few people that I spoke to intimately, and, and together we could, you know, question you know, what the pastor was doing or question some of the things that were being taught. And we could agree that, you know, this ain't it. This is mm. manipulation there. But then when I stepped all the way out and said, you know what? I think the whole thing is, it's like, break. Dead stop. <laughs> stop. There were people that no longer talked to me anymore altogether. There were people that were, it became more like, hey, how are you? Cool. All right. Bye. Just no depth in right. our relationship. Yeah, right. Um, and that was heartbreaking. That is hard. That was the part that just, 
I'm still Sandria. I'm still the same woman. I'm right? still right. All that you enjoyed in me as a person are still there. I just don't believe in God. Yeah. You know, and you know that was traumatic in and of itself. Um, but it was still in my circle, right? But when I felt like it was time to to kind of show that, that on a broader scale, the person that came to mind for me the most was my mom. Mm-hmm. I did not want to break her heart. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want her to be embarrassed because all of her church friends and right. would, you know, look at her some kind of way. You know, I um, lost my sister. Um, it's been mm. 11 years, December. I think it's 11 years. Mm. And there was a minister that told her, you know, you wouldn't lose a child if you were doing everything God, God wanted you to do. That yeah. something like that just recently happened to one of the members in our community too. Um, that she's oh, no longer yeah. a believer, oh, and yeah. so a church had used her, her daughter passing away as a sermon illustration. Yeah. And it's like, oh my god, like so inappropriate and so it's, wrong. It's heartless. It's selfish. Mm. And she just didn't deserve that. She was a mom grieving losing right. her child. How is that? god right right god's love in that and it's it's that sort of thing that gave me the courage to stand up yeah say no thank you i'm not a part of this you're not going to keep re-injuring people and my mom's a sweet lady and she you know will say that it hurt but i'll say fuck them you know what i mean i'm just that other (laughs) other side leave her alone right and you know not just for my mom it just grew to you know, me wanting to be that person that said, hey, life, there's another way. There's another community. And, you know, as I opened up, I found other spaces. I found other people. You know, it's it's similar to, to a breakup. If you create this life with this person, your family, your friends, your holidays, like it's all about, you know, your world. And then you break up and who gets the friends and who gets the dogs? And yeah. you kind of forget <laughs> that there's a whole world yeah, yeah, out yeah. there. So there's a concept that I use in therapy, and it's from um, choice theory, reality therapy. And it talks about our quality worlds. And in these quality worlds, we have people in them, right? So maybe I have my husband, my kid, my mom, my best friend, like all these people that are super important to me. And if they are not impacted, I'm not happy. I'm not well, right? But we put them in there. Mm-hmm. So we put them in there. We can also take them out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're completely out of our life, but they don't have to be that inner core um, support that you know helps you do life well. Right. Right. And you know, I like to do that on paper, and people kind of see it and go, "Whoa, whoa! I can just do that." Now, obviously, to do that in real life, <laughs> to walk that right, to grieve those losses. But to show people that you can, just like you can take those people out of that intimate space, you can put new people in there and mm. still feel just 
that's fulfilled in this new community. Mm. I fucking love that. Mm. One thing I love about therapy is just having like concepts like that, that help you like just filter the way that you take in information and the way that you live your life. And right. just using that abstract part of our minds again of like that we used to use it always just directed things to, Oh, that was God or that was Satan. Now we can use that same like filtering, like mental system, change it completely and say, no, there's other categories where, whatever you get what i'm saying i'm just what i love is that we're able to kind of use this the the abstract parts of our mind again um right. but to heal from the stuff that the last set of uh, rules made you know uh-huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's still you know there's a there's a grieving process i don't make light of it or you know make any promises that everything's going to be you know right like, right uh, you are grieving your losses um but after that grief, you can rebuild. It's a real thing. It's available. There are people waiting to love you and embrace you um, and walk in this new way of life with you. It's not if when church is all you've known, you don't even know <laughs> the possibilities mm-hmm. of outside of that. And for me, my 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 community grew. It's way bigger than it used to be. Different people, different thoughts. Some are still Christian are you know various bullies it's a huge community of um thinkers yeah so you that that's actually you bring up an interesting point because you still you do work with people that are still christians um you work with people that have different probably different religious beliefs your your goal as a therapist is not to like draw people out of christianity right Mm. i mean like that would be obviously would be like super problematic in the in the profession but so uh i mean i feel like okay so i've thought a lot about this and i don't want to be too uh i don't want to like we're we try to be fair but, but we're also kind of hard on religion because we see how it's hard on other people but at the same time like i have like i can't not acknowledge at the end of the day that there are there are communities and there are people that really need religion because it's the thing that gives them a sense of purpose and they struggle to find a sense of purpose, whether it's for socioeconomic reasons or because it's, you know, because their life is just really hard and complex. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like there, there are these tiers of existence and, and for people that have their basic needs taken care of, like food and shelter, it's a lot easier to like, go about the cog the like very complex process of establishing your own purpose or people that have their social needs met are more likely to be able to like establish purpose but there is there is a there's a a a phase in life in in a lot of people that uh are not in positions where it's like super easy or because or they're in social situations where it's very difficult to step outside of religion or they're just not ready yet so your 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 goal is not to eradicate religion, but you do help people reface. You do help people rethink. You help people that are going through transitions. What does that What does that look like, and how do you go about that without stepping on too much on you know people's uh, beliefs? Um, you know, so I've long you know knocking on people's doors and trying to lead them to Christ. Right. Um, and just because I'm outside of that religious uh, space, you know, I'm not going to trade one one type of uh, proselytizing for another. Wow. Yeah. 
you know, I'm not trying to create mini Sundrias. Everyone needs to think like me and be like me. This is, you know, that's not my goal. The goal is simple in that it, it doesn't depend what, it doesn't matter what we're working on as far as my clients are concerned. I'm always attuned to them and what their needs are. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. So if the need is, I still love God, I'm just struggling with how to walk out being a good wife. Because maybe, you know, this thought around submission doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So how do I, you know, and I just help them kind of walk through that. I place that's safe for them to question without someone throwing the Bible back in their face. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, trying to edit where they land. That's not, where they land is up to them. They're going to mm-hmm. leave the office after our 50-minute session and have to do life on their own. Mm-hmm. So my goal is, is to help people feel confident to the question um, and to be able to eventually make these decisions on their own. Damn, good. Like long-term, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Teach them I mean, to or I... give them some, right? <laughs> right. I mean, otherwise I'd be another church, right? Right. <laughs> I so, don't, you know... Go ahead. So the, oh, yeah, uh, the, the goal, and I feel like I, I, I mean, like, I feel like our goal as like a podcast in a community is like to empower people to make their own decisions, to draw their own conclusions. Um, I think a lot of our, I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of people that are coming out, I mean, very common symptom of religious trauma is black and white thinking and being stuck in this, in this, like it's this One or extreme this. or the other. It's A or B. And it's like, some people take that and they apply it to like, you know, like they'll just jump into the, the far, the far, like the liberal, like cancel culture sort of like view of things. And just like, all of a sudden it's like about that kind of morality instead of biblical morality. But like that, the goal is not to adopt a new system that tells you what to think. Right. Right. The goal is to establish your own critical thinking skills. How do you encourage people to do that? Because that's so, I feel like that's such an abstract, difficult thing to explain to somebody. It is. And, you know, it's, it's going to sound funny probably, but I, I take them back to, at least to imagine themselves as a child. As a child. Because as, hmm. Yeah. Because as a child, you're free to dream and explore and play and imagine right um no one's editing that you get to hang out in that space and be as free as you want to be and i invite people to go there like what do you imagine your life to be what would your marriage look like if you did it in a in a new way you know we're not asking god you're not asking sundria you're not not this is your space just you and your your private um intimate place in your heart what do you imagine for yourself and sometimes that in itself for a religious person is so difficult hmm. to give themselves the permission yeah. to just imagine and to dream mm-hmm. because that feels there, you know, and, and I'm able to say, well, you know, if I, if I kind of see that there, it's been colored by some of that dogma, I'll point it out. Well, that sounds like this is, is that different from what you imagine? Is that similar to what you want? Hmm. 
Just how does that feel for you? Does that feel safe? You know, it's not, you know, they walk in my office and boom, we're out of this stuff. It's it's a process. It's a it's an owning of your, like you said, being able to think. It's an owning of your mind. It's an owning of your heart. Um, and and creativity and exploration. I always felt like in religion, it was like being a kid constantly on my mother's breast. Like I never never grow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never had to fully think because the answers were given to me. I never had to, um, like we said earlier, face some of these really difficult things in other people or even in my, those dark places in myself because there was an answer for it. I never had to think through a process and kind of dig and figure out why I'm this way. Um, so in, in, in my work, I provide a space for clients to do that. It's safe. No one has to know. Where you where you end up landing for yourself, what feels right for you, is so personal. Mm-hmm. Not everyone leaves the church. Right. It's kind of like what you said earlier. Your your intention is to be patient focused, people focused, and mm-hmm. so if it is good for them to still have some sort of faith um, expression, it's different than what was harming them. Then that's a great right. thing for them to do, and it can help them. Hmm. Right. And I mean, look at it. The reality is people are interpreting this book in a multitude of ways. We Each of us come from d- three different types, you know, Christian yeah, yeah. backgrounds. So even in that, if all these people who love God by way of Christ can interpret it and live their life in all of these different ways, why can't you? Why can't you have that freedom? Mm, yeah. If that really between you and God and God is who he says he is why can't you be okay you know that is yeah that's the yeah that's the that's a really that is such a good way to frame that because it's not like that terminology is not among the forbidden terminology of Christianity right so it's Mm -hmm. like it gives you a little bit of flexibility within even within the system even if you're not quite out even if you're not there yet or won't be there or whatever that still gives you permission to make room for yourself as an individual yes Hmm. yes make room for yourself as it and to own it and then you get to feel the strength of your power the strength of being able to make a decision the strength of like you do something amazing you get to own i did that Mm -hmm. and you grow from that space or if i did something horrible oh i gotta own that that hurts. I feel guilty. Let me work through my shit. Mm-hmm. So that I don't do that again. You, you, then your relationships become healthier. You know, you're starting to really own all of those parts of yourself. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, okay, let me ask you one more question because we, like, I mean, quite frankly, to be completely honest with everybody Uh-oh. listening, like, Uh-oh. this show is, like, a little bit too white, you know? It's like, yes, <laughs> I mean, we've definitely had, we've had a, it's been very fortunate to have a variety of guests from very different backgrounds in different marginalized communities. But like we, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a white, I grew up in white culture, even though half of my family's black, Brady's white as fuck. I mean, you couldn't be any whiter. <laughs> Just kidding. No. So I want, I, I want to get into the a little bit of a little bit more into the black space because like you like okay so we talked earlier about you being uh, a black non-believer and having having and struggling in that space particularly you 
as as that individual that you know you you see your black family you find yourself in black spaces how do you personally cope with that how do you how do you deal with it how do you make yourself feel included in black spaces i just bring myself to the table hmm. you know it when i was actually um transitioning um because i was partly insecure because i didn't know where i was going to land i knew i was having a problem with my current way of thinking what it was going to look like in the future i didn't know feel insecure so that in itself kind of made me hide a little bit um and then when i felt a little more comfortable now i'm angry now i'm pissed off mm -hmm. so even if i am in those circles and jesus comes up fight i'm ready to debate like i'm ready to get in it right but i've landed yeah, but I've landed in a place where I'm confident in who I am. I don't need anyone to agree or disagree with me. Like, who cares? Where do we connect? If we connect on, you know, we're both moms and we love our children, then let's talk about our kids. If we, you know, are into certain music or fashion or movies, like there's so many other things to, to connect with people on. And that's what I focus on. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, again, sometimes depending on the circle, that religious thought or talk is such a social thing that it's not, it's, it's social on Sunday. That makes sense. That is yeah. not really a big deal the rest of the week for some people. Right. Or they just prayer and you're private and you, you keep living your life. Sometimes it's kind of like outsourcing your like outsourcing the theme of your um, small talk. Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. I mean, there's definitely things that are like, oh, because you believe the same thing as me, then we're going to have common experience. We're going to feel like a kinship. But a lot of times I feel like I've looked at my relationships with people while I was in the church and I, I still crave something deeper. But we didn't really have the words for that because we thought what we were talking about was the most ultimate everything ever, you know? Um, but I just found it also lacking. And I also found myself when I was in those environments having to make myself smaller um, with the hobbies that you just mentioned, you know, where we have these other interests. And I felt like I had to kind of make that a smaller part of who I was so that I could grow in this holiness or whatever. But now that I'm outside of that, it's like, no, I, I can tweet about how much I love television and I watch it like, you know, and, right. and then be able to talk about like the other things that make me, me, um, yes. and, and another, and just one last thing is it's, and we've talked about this Chuck too, with our creativity, right? Like when our creativity was always wrapped up in doing something for the Lord or like, you know, Christian music, or for me, it was writing. I wanted to write these Christian allegories, oh but now like trying to rediscover my, um, my creativity without having to have that filter on, um, raw dog in it if you will um it's harder to find that like that new trying to find that new voice because i'm not having to do an accent you know hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's so that part about you're thinking you're in these deep relationships and then you realize you're really not like it's still surface we're all still mm. giving yes those, yes um, you know give an answer ain't god good 
Yes, he all is. The all the time. Like, everything's already planned. So yeah. how do you go deeper if you're, you know, everyone's quoting the scripture right. back at you this quick? It's just amen and yeah. everything. And no one's exploring or trying anything new. Well, because the church that I went to, well, the last church that I went to, I was disfellowship. So literally, I lost those relationships and friendships in a moment. And that's sobering as fuck, right? Of like, I've spent nearly a decade with these people. This has been my, you know, replacement for a family. This is my entire support system. And we think that it's all built on, well, because the same God who lives in me is living in you. And we think that it's this really deep thing. This super, it's such a deep relationship that it's supernatural, right? Mm -hmm. But then we have these circumstances in our experience that show, oh, well, if I start filtering my beliefs in just a slightly different way i'm anathema or if i uh am disfellowshipped over you know spiritual abuse then uh then i'm outside of the club and it's just that quick that fast um man that is that's so sobering um to realize that god it's not these relationships are not as deep or meaningful. No, as they they're across. really like, dude, that was one of the things that got me out was like uh, going back to the support group I was in, which was a Christian support group. But again, it was like rooted in psychology. Right. So yeah. it was like we were getting into these conversations that were so outside of what was acceptable in church that I was like, oh, Finally. you can have like mm-hmm. this goes way deeper. Right. But I wanted to point out something about what you said, which was like. The first thing you said was like, well, if I want to get in an argument about it, like I'll, I'm not afraid <laughs> Ready to do to rumble, that. Right? Right? But also like if I, if I want to just talk about TV or movies, like I can do that too. And I think that a lot of people that are deconstructing and get stuck in this dualistic, like either they need to evangelize their new beliefs, right? Mm. And, and sort of like get into the argument every time because they have to convince their mom that it's okay to be gay or they feel like they they feel like they're so afraid that they they don't want to they don't want to get into it at all so they kind of hide but the, like the reality is like it's up to you that day like listen like yeah. listen to yourself listen to your body decide do you do I have it in me today to pick a fight or not and if you don't you don't have to pick a fight you can talk about other stuff and if you don't have the the space for whatever the conversation topic is, you have the choice to leave. Also, you, it's your choice, your power. It is your. That's the whole point of like. It's your choice, your power. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so good. Tell us about that. What is what does that mean? Uh, what is your choice, your power? That is exactly what it means. I because I didn't feel I had choice. Everything was already given. My life was scripted. This is what we do. There's nothing else to really out, you know, unless I was waiting on a word from the Lord to see what the next thing was, but it Mm. wasn't me. But once I came out and I started making choices, I started to see my personal power. I started to see my life change because of decisions and choices I was making. All of a sudden it was like, whoa, you know, I, I talk about supernatural. I felt supernatural all of a sudden. I wasn't waiting I, w- I didn't need permission. I didn't I need that. a word or a scripture mm. for someone to make it so for me. It's like, Sandra, if you want to change your life, if you want to make more money, if you want more education, if you want to be healthier and more fit, if you want to travel the world, get off your ass. You don't have to, you know, pray and fast to get an answer. Just go do it. Mm. Be practical. Enjoy life. Participate. 
And that's why I came up with, it's my choice. It's my power to wield as I see fit. And that's what you named your website. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the services that you give that our, cus- our, our customers? Ew. Our- <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Edit this out. Our, our, our listeners, Jesus, um, to see what our listeners can do to get in touch with you and what you're doing. Sure. So visit my website. It's mychoicemypower.com. Um, you can also visit me on Instagram and it's, what is it? My choice, my power counseling. Okay. Uh, and I offer counseling. I focus religious trauma, women's issues, and life transitions. And oftentimes they all kind of roll oh, damn. into one yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. Big time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I offer counseling for area, but I also um, provide counseling online. So if you're in Colorado, we can do online counseling at any time. If you're outside of Colorado, I offer coaching and we can still um, do some work around this in that area um online as well mm-hmm. so i try to make it accessible and you know take away excuses for people i love that very cool god that's so important i just i love therapy so much and just because of my background where it was so frowned upon and to know like what you said chuck you say it all the time and you nail it about how quickly you were able to start seeing improvements in your life because you were able to be given the 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 tools that actually help um the tools that are built on observation that we all can see and not on being told what to be seen right like secret observations that some can see yeah i mean (laughs) that's the thing about faith right is that faith is uh where we we see something but when you're told what to be when you're told to what to see first right you know then it's like you're you're not you're not working on tools that everybody can be using it's not built on real life but i see like what you're saying um essentially just like a big shift between um your cognitive dissonance of just depending on that one thing right and then shifting over to real life and to mm-hmm. then move our mindset into our expectations to, to our real life. Um, mm-hmm. And what you said earlier about, about prayer makes so much sense to me too, because when we prayed, it was because we wanted God to do something for us. And so we mm-hmm. always punted the action over to him. Right. <laughs> but when we change our, our, our viewpoint and we change how we, uh, you know, gain information and how we view the world, we become that we become that agent of change. So instead of asking somebody else to do it, instead of outsourcing it, we become that own source. Right. And God, the way you describe that, I think it just, I don't know. It really stuck with Nailed me. Nailed it. Love it. Nailed it. Fucking love it. Uh, Sandria Hall. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes. Thank um, you. That was good. One more time. What's your website? My choice, my Very cool. And my choice, my power counseling on Instagram as well. Okay. Very cool. Thanks for being on the show. This was a good, this is awesome. Definitely. And and, And uh, always remember if you don't go to church, Sunday is just just a second second Saturday. Saturday. I am no Malcolm, I ain't
you know Martin, more like 95 Spartans, kicked out the garden, back to back, stab at God, can you ask for his pardon? My mind trying to break out the margins, writing reflections on loose leaf, listen hard, my jargon is Darwin, inciting infections of unbelief, like what in the hell is your spiritual walk, but meditating on TED Talks, elevating events that are non-stop, circulating your views in a closed crop, cutting verses up like a chop shop, with copies and signs like a bookshop, pasted in like Bibles on backdrops, feeling bad for shit on your laptop, it's a bad prop for holding beliefs in a sad book, relieving your grief in an outlook that promises peace with a bait hook that doesn't release. I was caught on the line of repression, asking myself the same question over and over and over with no progression. Decided to change my only direction ahead, leaving the fault for the spread. Headed to hell in my bed. If living is lying down, then I'd rather be dead. They said our thoughts are dangerous. Nobody's can we trust like we're made of.